That was a perfect introduction to the whole week. I'm going I'm to borrow your stand and I'll return it. Uh, so, really, I mean, the thing we're going to be looking at this whole week is that Christ is the cornerstone of not just your life. It's not just that your life can be built on Christ, but Christ is the cornerstone of this universe and all other universes. I mean, he, Christ is the cornerstone of all creation. And so we're going to be looking at that and considering that this week. Uh, my, and by the way, my name's Casey Shutt. There's many of you that don't go to necessarily go to King's Cross. So if you don't go, I'm the, I'm the pastor at King's Cross Church. Um, and I'm going to be sharing in the evenings. And Nathan's going to be sharing during the morning times. And we've, we've been talking about what we're going to talk about. Um, and, well... I'll explain that in just a sec. I'm going to pull this thing over because I'm going to do some writing on a little whiteboard. You've got notes in your, uh, in your booklets that you're welcome to make use of. I think it would be great. Can, can people see if, if this is kind of angled that way, everybody? Can you see that, Owen? Okay, good. Um, so the first, so we're going to be talking about kind of what the world does, teaches, kind of creates in our hearts and how Christ addresses those things. So, for example, we're gonna, one talks like the, the world um, is anxious, but Christ is the Prince of Peace. The world works, but Christ offers grace. But before we get into all of that, I'm going to lay some groundwork. We're going to talk about, let me write it on our little board. You can write it. This is the title of our talk this evening. Sojourner. Can you see that? Does anybody know what that word means? You've probably heard it before. You may not have like a textbook definition on the ready, and that's okay. I actually looked it up because I was like, what exactly does it mean? I kind of know what it means, but I want to see the old Webster Dictionary definition. Anybody know what sojourner means? Traveler, yes, that's a good definition. A traveler, some, someone who, we're, we're sojourners at Silvercliff. We're just passing through, just for a few days. And, well, we're going to read it, actually. Actually, we're going to turn to 1 Peter. Uh, so you got, you got the Old Testament, you got the New Testament. 1 Peter's in the New Testament. So it's like kind of towards the end of the Bible. Uh, if you have Bibles, turn, turn there. First Peter, you'll find Hebrews is one of the long books towards the end. If you get to Revelation, you've gone too far. It's Hebrews, James, and then Peter. We're going to look at First Peter, chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Okay, let's go ahead and stand as we read the scriptures. Verses 9 through 11, Peter says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. He's talking to the church. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, 
but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Beloved, here's, here's the word, you ready? I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. All flesh is like grass, it's glory like the flowers, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but God's word stands forever. And this is God's word. And you guys may be seated. Go ahead and have a seat. Um, so, 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 so Peter here says we're sojourners, we're exiles. He uses that language as well. We can talk about that too a little bit in, in, in the future. But sojourners, that's the word I want to focus on. Now, I don't know if coming from Oklahoma, flat, hot Oklahoma, we come and we're surrounded by these mountains. And I, you don't have to admit it if, if this is the case. But for me, when I come to mountainous territory, <laughs> I, I, there's something in my soul that just sort of says, yes, this is beautiful. This is, this is home, even though it's not. It just, it just feels like I'm made for this place. Like planet Earth is all right. I like this place. This is home. Has anybody ever felt that? You don't have to raise your hand. It's kind of a silly thing to say. I think many adults back there feel that way. Amen. So we have these moments where you just feel like this is home. It may not be the mountains. It may be a dinner with friends. It may be hanging out with friends. It may be time with family. It may be whatever. There's these moments where like, I belong. But there's also many moments where we feel like we don't belong. Maybe this is one of those moments. Maybe you're feeling and you're a long ways from home. Feeling homesick. I, hey, first time I was at camp, I, didn't, I, I got homesick. I mean, if I was honest, I didn't want to be there. So we, we, we have that experience as well. Now, way back in 1986, there was a little boy, and you may have heard this story before because I've shared it before, but I want to share it again because it's a really powerful story that I think highlights our predicament. There was this boy named Saru. This is in India. And little Saru was about a five-year-old boy, and he had an older brother named Gudu. And they're, they're little Indian boys. They have a single mother that's raising them. They're in just very poor. And so what Gudu and Saru would do is they would go to the train station to, to collect coal. There'd be coal that was left over, and they would bring it back and sell it for just, you know, pennies, peanuts. But it would, it would help make a, make a living for their family. And Saru, late one night, said, let's go to the train station and get coal. And his brother Gudu said, no, it's too late. It's dangerous. It's not a good idea. Saru insisted. And finally, Gudu said yes. And so they make the long journey to the train station. They start picking up the coal. But guess what happens? It's late, remember? Really late at night. Saru falls asleep on a bench at the train station. And when he wakes up, he can't find his brother, Gudu. And he's, so he's nervously sort of scrambling, trying to find where his, his brother is. And he steps onto one of the trains. It's a passenger train. And he looks around for him. He can't find him. He sits down on the train. He falls asleep. And he wakes up to a nightmare. Because now the train is hauling across India. There's nobody on the train. There's not a single soul on it. He doesn't know where it's going. One day passes by, the train's still moving. 
Another day passes by. Two days. That train was traveling across the world. And this little five-year-old's on it. And when he gets off the train, he's, imagine, little five-year-old. He doesn't understand the language. He's in Calcutta, which is this massive city. And now he's, he's fending for himself as, a, as, a, as, a, as an exile, as an alien. I mean, he, he doesn't know the language. He doesn't know the city. He's five years old. He's, he finally winds up in an orphanage. And this loving Australian family adopts him and brings him to Australia. They give him a good education. They actually t- send him off to college. And he, gets, he, he, wants to, uh, he majors in hotel management because he wanted to extend the same kind of hospitality that his Australian parents did, his adopted parents. But still, he's got this longing in his heart. And it's, it's, it, he's having dinner with the friends, and he, he, takes, he takes this food, and memories of his childhood and his mother and his brother flood his heart and his mind because he's eating this Indian food that he had when he was a little child. He says, i got to find home. i got to find my biological mom. And there was this technology that came out. This is the early 2000s this thing called Google Earth, where you can see satellite footage of the whole world. And so he takes long hours of investigation. He's got these little bits and pieces of memory, and he finds, he, he's looking at the satellite footage. He remembers where the train station was, that there was some sort of mill near it. He knew how fast the train traveled in 1986, and for two days he remembered that part. And so he's put, putting all the puzzle pieces together. And as he's looking at the satellite footage, he thinks he, he, thinks he sees home. And so he pops on an airplane, flies from Australia to India, and he gets off the plane, and sure enough, he sees it all. This is, this is it. This is home. So he's winding his way through the streets, trying to find it. He's asking where his mother lives, and they kind of help direct him to where she is now, and sure enough, there she is. And they embrace, and his mother said, I always knew you would come back. It's an incredible story. It's a true story. They made a movie into it. Um, it's an incredible story. And I think, you know, it's, for me, it's incredible to see just this little five-year-old losing his mother, finding himself in this massive city, the love that these parents showed him and bringing him in and giving him really everything a child could want. But still, he had this stirring in his heart to find his family, his biological family. It's moving. And here's one of the reasons I think this story resonates so much with us. Because... It's our story. The story of Saru is our story. We have feelings that we don't quite belong, that we're adrift, that we are not quite home. Sure, the Rocky Mountains bring this sense of home, but there's still this sense that, like, maybe we don't belong. We have this sense, and here's the thing. Across the globe, if you look at other languages, they, other languages have words for the sense of kind of longing for home. The Welsh call it Kyrieth. The Germans call it Heimweh. The Italians call it Mancanza de Casa. The Greeks call it, and this is a word we've adopted, nostalgia, the sense of longing for something. And here's how it manifests itself. Here's how we feel it. We think to ourselves, if I could just get a new friend group, then I could be settled. Then I could feel like things were right. Or if I could just get a new pair of jeans or get um, you know, a new set of skills 
Or if I could just get like a new body or athleticism or smarts or music or curly hair. And if you have curly hair, you're thinking, if I could just have straight hair. We, we always want something else, don't we? And here's the thing. You get those things, and guess what happens? Does it, does it, land, does it help your heart land somewhere? No, your heart moves on to something else. There's, some, there's always something else. We never quite scratch the itch that our heart has. And listen to what C.S. Lewis says. If we find in ourselves, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. If nothing, if nothing in this world can satisfy what we're after, then maybe we were made for another world. That's what Lewis says. Maybe that desire can be scratched. That itch can be scratched. And so because of this, we're sojourners in this world. And I want to, so we looked at First Peter. Now, if we go back to this, one of the things that amazes me about these scriptures is that while they were written over thousands and thousands of years by many different authors, there's, they, they, they hold together as a single story. It's actually pretty remarkable. And I want to, and for me, it's one of the, one of the, one of the reasons why I, uh, believe in these scriptures. Look at the way they hold together as one single story. And so we're going to go all the way back to the beginning. Uh, you can turn there if you like. Genesis chapter 3, verses 22 through 24. Something went wrong. Do you remember what it was? Anybody? Where, where was, where, what, God made man and woman. He made Adam and Eve. And where did he place them? In a garden, that's right. And then what did they do that um, was an act of disobedience? They ate the apple. Thanks, John Milton. He gave us the apple. Yeah, they ate, they ate apple, fruit, some kind of fruit of a, of a tree, right? They, they ate it. Now, here's the thing I want you to remember. We, we hear that and we're like, well, that's kind of stinks that God would like throw. It's like putting a donut box in a, in a, you know, a kindergarten Sunday school class and saying, don't, you can do whatever you want. Just don't take a donut out of the donut box. You know, why, why, why even put it there? Well, let me say this first. God gave them everything in creation. All the fruits of all the trees are yours to eat except for one. And, and, and perhaps there was a time when he would open that up to them the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He doesn't, they're, they're, he doesn't elaborate. But at that time, he was saying, no, don't, don't do that. Trust me. Trust me. And your parents want you to trust them. You know, um, our kids oftentimes ask, uh, why? Well, why do I have to do that? And we as parents sometimes want to say, don't ask why. Just you have to trust me, Even when it, especially when it doesn't make sense. And God's sort of saying that, right, to Adam and Eve, but they eat the fruit. And what that does is it brings this sense of homelessness. So I want to, if you turn to Genesis chapter 3, verses 22 through 24, listen to what it says. Then the Lord God said, this is Genesis 3, verse 22. Behold, so they've eaten the fruit. Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he should reach out his hand and take of the tree of life and eat and live forever, Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work from the ground from which he was taken. Let's look at this, 24. He drove the man out 
to the east of the garden, and he placed the cherubim in a flaming sword that turned every way to guard. Now, this is a devastating day. What made the garden so special? Any idea? Feel free to chime in. I'll leave that right there for now. What, what, made the, what made the garden so special? It was perfect. Any, any thoughts as to why it was so perfect? Because God made it. That's right. Yes? That's right. Sin had not entered the world. Disobedience. And sin's actually a really good word. There's a lot of people that think, man, sin's is kind of a, we can move on from that term. But I think it's an extremely helpful term. Any other thoughts on what made the garden so special? It's perfect because sin didn't enter the world. Uh, yes, Ben. The presence of God. Yeah, big time. Yeah, so that's, that's exactly right. All of those things are, are, are right around the target. So Adam and Eve, are, they're in, we'll just call this, this is like paradise. And there's waterfalls, and there's, it's just lush. There's, we'll say there's mountains. Um, and here they are, here. And God sent them to, um, to be fruitful, to multiply, to extend it, to extend the garden outward, and to build cities, and build culture, and make paintings, and music, and do all the things that people do. He, he intended for them to do that, but in the presence of God, and in fellowship with God. And so they get kicked out. They get banished because of their disobedience. And now they're in this scorched land that is hard. It's just hard to even work becomes difficult. And they're toiling. But the big, the fundamental problem is that they have now, now living their lives outside the presence of God. So think of it this way. Here's God. And we were meant to live our lives in fellowship with God. We'll put man and woman there. Right there. That was the core thing. They lived in the presence of God, in relationship with God. Once they come out, they're now separated. And what does it say is separating them from God? Huh? The, the sword. What, what kind of sword is it? What, what else does it say? It gives a, a flaming sword. And what's the thing? What's the creature? The cherubim. So it's this angelic. Now we've got probably a totally wrong idea of, a, of an angel in our minds. And I'm, draw, I'm not helping with this picture. But, um, but uh, the flaming sword. So there's this sword at the gate. And it's, it's swinging every which way. And it's preventing them from coming back into the presence of God. They've been banished. Now, this is what Christianity says. This is why you feel homeless sometimes. And you can't quite put... Now, sometimes you feel homeless because you're away from home. But even when you're at home, you still get these, these stirrings in your heart where you just... You might feel afraid or you might feel uneasy or you might feel unsettled. And these... these I mean, this, is, this goes on even into adulthood. You feel this. And this is... Christianity says this is why. We're living outside of God's provision and care. We weren't made to do that. So we're just adrift. We're like Saru. We're, 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 we're homeless. Now, so let me uh, push this thing forward a bit. Um, what does God do? We're gonna, I'm going to give you a quick summary of all the scripture. So 
Buckle up. Here we go. Um, So God calls Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless everyone, all the nations. I'm going to bless through you. And as those promises unfold, um, it becomes clear that God is going to bring about a salvation. And here's a big clue to what he's doing. uh, 400 years later, after Abraham, about 500 years actually, Moses comes onto the scene. Remember what Moses does? Remember, where are the people when Moses is alive? They're stuck. Not only are they in Egypt, but what are they in Egypt? Are they kings and queens? They're slaves. And so God uh, delivers them miraculously. But, and that happens pretty early on. But really, the climax of the whole book, you know what it is? Do you remember what happens at the end? You probably don't read it because it's, it's kind of a little dry um, when you read it. I mean, it's, it's very technical. It's all these instructions. Um, any, any idea what happens? Oop. They're told to build this tent for God. Do you know what it's called? Starts with a T. A tabernacle. It's God's tent. And this is, just hang with me here. So, so we were meant to live in fellowship with God. Here we are. But what consequently we're outside of God's fellowship. Here we are on the other side. And the cherubim is swinging its flaming sword. And we're stuck out here in no man's land. And then God tells Moses, I am going to be your God. And you will be my people. And I want you to build a a tent, a dwelling for me. And get this. What direction were, were Adam and Eve cast out of? Did, do you remember what it said in, back in Genesis chapter 3? East. And you know where the, t- the, the tabernacle, God's tent, was to be? Uh, east. It's supposed to face the east. It's this enclosed space. And you know what they were to put inside of it? Like these palm tree structures. They were painting palm trees. Do you know what the task of the priest who served in the tabernacle? This is the tabernacle. And there's, there's all these little uh, holy of holies and different areas of it. But do you know what the priest who worked in, in the tabernacle, do you know what the task of the priest was in this tabernacle? The exact same as what God told Adam. Guard, protect. It's the exact same Hebrew, exact same language, exact same job description that God gave Abraham. You see what God is saying? I'm, I'm building a new Eden right here on earth, and I'm going to dwell with you. You're going to be my people. I'm coming back. God's got, we got this barrier, and God says, I'm coming back. But, there, but there's just one thing. At the very center is the Holy of Holies. And you know what's all over the Holy of Holies? Can you guess? Cherubim. You know what they have? Swords. They're instructed to stitch cherubim all over the inner. This is where, God, this is where God's presence is. And only one person on one day of the year could enter that presence. And it was the high priest on the Day of Atonement. You see what this is picturing, right? God is saying, I'm coming back. I'm coming back to rescue. And I'm going to invite you into a garden. Okay, so, let's, so this is, uh, you know, 1,500 years before Jesus. Eventually, Solomon builds a temple. It's torn down. Eventually, they build a second temple. But it, it's the exact same design plan. Same thing. And Jesus comes along. And he serves, and he says, I came to give my life as a ransom. 
And he dies on the cross. And do you remember what happens? One of the many things that happens when he dies at his death. Do you remember, Luke? The veil gets torn. And what was on the veil? You see what you see the significance, right? God's saying the death of Jesus opens up a way for the Jews to come to Christ. Yes. But also the Gentiles. All of us like passage granted. And so here, here's here's what I want us to see. I'm, I'm back and forth. I need to get that thing closer to me, but I'm afraid we can't see it if it's over, if it's too close. Um, he invites us into fellowship with him. Into, this is what Peter says. Look, he called us out of darkness. And he brought us into his marvelous light. That's what's being described. We're being brought into the light of Christ. God in Christ is bringing us into fellowship with him back. And it's all because of the cross. So this barrier is broken. And guess St. Augustine said this. He said that Jesus in the cross is a ferry to God. You know what a ferry is? Have you ever had to cross water? Yeah, it's like a boat that you maybe put a car on or put luggage and you... You know, you go across. St. Augustine says, fairy to God. It's the way, it's the passage to God. It's the only way to God. So here, so problem solved, right? Now we don't have to feel homesick because we're back in God's care, right? Not quite. We're getting there. We're moving in the right direction. But I, I want, and this is where it gets a little complicated. Let me try to illustrate this. And I'm going to get a whole new piece of paper. I need, I need some different colored markers. What did, I, what did I do with them? Where are they? Oh, are they up here? Oh, yeah, they're there. Okay. So here's, here's how we're going to try to illustrate this. Oh, thanks. Perfect. The whole set. Uh, okay, so here we are. Look, look at the language of Peter. It says, Peter says, that he called us out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. So here we are, people. Um, but we're, we're in darkness. That's not rain, even though it's blue. It's darkness. It's like we're, we're in the kingdom of darkness is, is one way to put it. The kingdom of darkness. That's the world. That's what, that's what life Apart from God, when humans do the things that God called them to do, apart from God, they create kind of a, a false kingdom, like a, a world, but it's all askew. It's off because it's, it's done apart from God and in rebellion against God. So it gets all confused and muddled. But what he did, what Paul says or Peter says happened is that he called us into his marvelous light. So you could picture like, okay, here's a bunch of people. We get called, this is like Christ's church, the church. We're called into, into his light. That's like a light, like a lamp light, right? Brightening things. Here's another, we'll say it's another church, okay? God is calling up people all across the world, all across the globe, little churches, and he's bringing them into his light. But here's the problem. 
we're still in the kingdom of darkness. You see that? But Peter says he called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. But we're still in a world of darkness. And that is why we are sojourners. You understand? Does that make sense? Because what's happening is the light of Christ is going to overwhelm the darkness. Jesus says that. But that happens when he returns. And so in the meantime, we're in the light, but caught in the world of darkness. There's a tension. His kingdom's growing. It's there, but it's kind of in a quiet form. It's almost like little colonies. You know, like when, when, a, when people colonize an area, they kind of set up a little po- an outpost in maybe another world, but they're setting like an embassy. That's kind of what it's like. The church is the embassy of Christ's kingdom. A little place in an otherwise foreign land where Christ's people come together to love one another as Christ called them to love. Okay? So, when we talk about sojourners, that's, that's what it is. Now, the reason you were, the reason, so here's the thing. You feel homeless no matter what. You're kind of like, okay, so what's, I, I'm just kind of up a creek without a paddle. No, you're not, actually, because listen, listen to what happens. We feel homeless and adrift here because we're outside of God's care. Remember? We're, we're, out, we're outside of the G. We get brought into, the, into God, fellowship with God in Christ in this situation, but now we feel out of place because the world around us is operating totally different set of rules, set of assumptions. They're, 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 they, they don't have any, they don't, they don't even, not only do they not want anything to do with Christ, but they may actually be opposed to Christ. But here's the thing. He, in this mold, we're moving towards the light. We're moving towards Christ's kingdom. God is going to bring us home, all the way home. In this kingdom, you're moving further and further away from the light. You're moving more and more into darkness, more and more into dislocation, more deeper and deeper feelings of homelessness. That's what this, and you see that with Jesus came, the light of the world, and like the Pharisees, he he starts speaking truth to them, and they like, they retreat further. They start saying all these crazy lies. They're like moving further and further into the darkness, almost like rats, like, like rat, people that like to dwell in the dark, like, you know, rats or something. If you shine a flashlight, little, uh, you know, beetles, bugs, you shine a flashlight in the corner, where do they go? Further and further into the darkness, right? Apart from Christ, that's where we, we, we want to move away from the, we want to move into the darkness. That's kind of what our heart has bent us toward. But here, as sojourners in Christ, we're moving more and more to Christ. And so this is the, this is the story of the world. Um, this is the story of the scripture in a real, you know, brief form. And I want to say this too. It's possible. It's possible that, you're, that you haven't come into the kingdom of light that you haven't come to Christ, that you haven't said, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want the light. I want what you have. I want to follow you as Lord and Savior. That's, that's possible. And so my invitation to you, if you feel like you're in that camp, if you're still in the kingdom of darkness, is come to the light. Say, Jesus, I need you. 
I want to be in the light. I want to be in your kingdom of light. And I want you to bring me home and forgive me of my sins. Um, that's, that's his invitation to us. Now, what we're going to do from here on out is contrast the kingdom of darkness. Another way to say it is the world with the kingdom of Christ and his values. The re- what we did was just kind of lay the groundwork. And what we're going to be doing from, from here on out is con- con- uh, comparing or contrasting the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. So that's the plan from here on out. Any questions for me right now? It's kind of a bold ask to just raise your hand, but if you have questions, ask a sponsor. I would love to try to answer questions. If you have them, come talk to me if you want. I would love that. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing some more, uh, and, then, and then we will move on to our next. I, th- I believe you guys have some time alone to kind of reflect and maybe pray and be in small groups, so that will happen following um, our, our final song. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us this beautiful story of your rescue, that you save us. Um, we, we're not deserving of it. In fact, we left to our own. We would just keep running towards darkness. But you have pursued us. You've shined your light upon us. And you've awakened us to the truths of your of your salvation, and you've brought us back into fellowship with you. And we thank you for that picture, that powerful picture of you uh, destroying your death, destroying the veil, and bringing us life and fellowship with God. Help us to fall deeper into that fellowship with you uh, over the course of this week. We pray for your spirit to be at work in us, transforming us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.